Our Father, we come to you boldly because you've requested that. And we know that that's not even possible apart from the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, because his work is complete in reference to our sin and our sins, that they've been banished, they've been expunged, they've been uh, removed from the record. And uh, we can stand before you uh, in the very righteous uh, clothing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you so much for that, that uh, even as Christ is there at your right hand, and we are here, at least physically, but seated at your right hand as well in him. Thank you that the Holy Spirit has been gifted to each of us believers and that uh, all of his cries are heard. And uh, thank you, Father, therefore, that you know exactly uh, what's in our hearts today. Father, there are many thanksgivings that we offer up to you, as Gail has just mentioned, uh, a great one being uh, the privilege to reign in life through this one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And we certainly seek to do just that. Father, I, I, uh, I thank you not only for all things, because you're the one in control, not we ourselves. We're not pulling your strings at all, but reflecting back to you, uh, our, our hearts uh, desire to be appreciative in every dimension for all that you've done for us and continue to do each day and hour, and then also to bring our requests to you. So, Father, we... We do bring before you these requests that have been listed. And Father, one of the things that's so dominant in our hearts and minds in these days is our nation's condition, our people who've uh, so often turned away from you and are believing lies. And those lies are destructive, not only to their personal lives, but to the life of our nation and its future. So, Father, we're, we're just so concerned for that. We're in tears even over it and uh, often. We pray, Father, that you would give us deliverance uh, from that. May there be a great revival, as, as has been shared here today. The opportunities are many for us to share uh, our hope and our confidence in the midst of a hopeless uh, generation. Father, I pray that our leaders who are so bent on destroying this nation would be themselves destroyed and revealed fully for what they are and who they are. And I pray, Father, for our president, for we still call him such, uh, who has given so much for the sake of our nation. And I pray that he and his wife and his family would be blessed in these times of reflection and and uh, planning for the future. And I do pray, Father, that the message that he was so successfully able to communicate would uh, be carried on by himself and by so many others that you would raise up, Father. Please give courage to all of them and us to speak boldly on your behalf and on behalf of our uh, constitutional uh, Republic that it might be preserved and therefore our liberties in uh, worship 
would be uh, held high. We pray, Father, that our schools would not be destroyed completely. They've already been largely so, but not completely. And so, Father, I just pray uh, for victory for those that stand boldly for truth and true liberty and justice here in this land. Please protect our nation from our many, many enemies, not only from within, but also from without in these days. And Father, may this current administration uh, so ill-founded uh, fail to accomplish those agendas that they have uh, boldly proclaimed. And may they instead find themselves uh, on the right path and maybe against their will, but may our nation be preserved, Father. May we have peace in our day, if that's your will, and if not, may our hopes never be dashed as we listen intently for that upward calling, that voice, that shout uh, that we all long for. Bless our meeting this morning, Father, and this word. And may we share it effectively in Christ's name and amen. All right. We continue in Paul's second letter to Timothy. And as you know, we're on a, on a mini series here. This is now part four of that and there may be a part five before we get back to second timothy um, verse by verse not sure about that but uh, this is part four rightly dividing the word of truth demands that we follow paul and i think by now you know what that means we've given a lot of uh, details we're not finished yet in that. <laughs> and uh, you will remember how the last couple of weeks we've been considering the differences between law and grace and how the 12 apostles uh, were preaching boldly what Christ himself had preached concerning the coming kingdom and how uh, law would be on center stage. Uh, of course, previously it was the law of Moses. And and then uh, as Christ preached uh, the gospel of the kingdom, and then the 12 did the same, um, they were looking forward. They were not looking back to Moses' law, but rather to an enhanced law, the law of the coming kingdom. And we saw how their preaching was attended to by signs, wonders, and miracles. And that was essential for, for those who preached that gospel of the kingdom that was coming, an earthly kingdom, that they would uh, have their persons, their message uh, certified, as it were, accredited by those signs and wonders. That was all prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. And uh, we saw how that was revealed so clearly there, looking back into Matthew. And then in contrast, we saw in Galatians 3, <laughs> something so uh, amazingly different. <laughs> and that was Galatians 3.10, uh, where Paul writes about the works of the law and how those that are under the works of the law are under the curse. Uh, so, problem was that 
if you were uh, under the law, you were required to uh, fulfill the law. You were required to do that. You couldn't receive blessings apart from that obedience. And so according to that rule, that dispensational rule, that obedience would then bring forth rewards, right? Disobedience would bring judgment, right? That was what the law required. Uh, not only the Moses law, but also the law of the coming kingdom was of that sort, because that's that's the essence of law. Law requires obedience and promises rewards, right? Grace, on the other hand, freely provides blessings and exhorts obedience. In other words, the obedience is to follow uh, in thanksgiving to the free gift of grace, not the other way around, okay, which is what the law demanded. So the real issue was a dispensational one. What was God doing? What is God doing? We always have to ask that question. Depends on the dispensational plan that we are in <clears throat> as to how that question is to be scripturally answered. Now, Moses clearly was the administrator of the dispensation of the law, right? Christ was and is the, the administrator of the coming kingdom, though we're no longer anticipating the coming kingdom the way they were then, because now we've been brought into a new dispensation, the dispensation of the grace of God. Who's the administrator of that dispensation? Paul, the administrator of the dispensation of the grace of God. So in the same way that Moses needed to be heard or Christ needed to be heard in their preachings concerning law, in the one case, Moses' law, the other case, the coming kingdom law, Paul needs to be heard in his preaching and teaching regarding the dispensation of the grace of God. I don't want to say more now because uh, we have so much to cover today and I want to quickly move ahead. But just one final thing. Um, we looked last time at sort of to introduce today's uh, study, really, that Paul had himself been right in the center of miraculous workings of God. You can read about that in the book of Acts, right? I mean, Paul was... Uh, given certain gifts, uh, and he was, uh, in fact, uh, possessing the uh, signs and the marks of an apostle. He was an apostle. He was not a member of the Twelve. They all had marks and signs of apostleship, too, that Christ gave them. And Paul was given such signs and abilities. Um, but those signs and abilities passed away, and you see much evidence of that. And we looked at the case of uh, uh, Timothy. Uh, he was not healed of certain kinds of digestive problems, though, though earlier that would have surely occurred because Timothy was so critical to Paul's uh, missionary journeys, right? He traveled with him continuously. Uh, but Timothy's physical infirmities were not, were not taken care of, and he was asked to drink wine. Uh, to help out. Epaphroditus was another example uh, of that. And uh, then there was Trophimus, and this is in Paul's last letter, the letter, the second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 20. 
where Trophimus, who was a very valued and trusted co-worker, was not able to continue on with Paul. He had to be left behind. Why? Because he was sick. There was no healing for him. So these uh, powers uh, and signs were rapidly passing away as Paul reaches the end of his life and ministry. Well, let's uh, move ahead. Um, Paul gives teaching, and this is the critical teaching uh, that we have in Paul's letters regarding these signs, wonders, and miracles, and, uh, and other similar things, though different, which were given to the church, the body of Christ in those early days. And those were spiritual gifts, and that's the subject before us here today. And it is first. 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 13, where this teaching is given, and 14 too, but we're not going to get to that here today. Here's our outline. <clears throat> I mentioned this last time, but we'll start out there today. Some dear things must be lost for grace to be fully revealed. So for grace to be fully revealed, some dear things must be lost. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Paul's writing all about that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Secondly, following Christ apart from Paul is living without the power of God. I stated that, that uh, concretely and with such uh, contrast because that's, in fact, the truth of it. Following Christ apart from Paul is living without the power of God. And we can do that as believers if we just turn aside from Paul and turn back to law. Okay? You leave grace behind and turn back to law, you'll be living without the power of God. Why? Because God today is working according to grace, not law. Okay. And the final point, some dear things must be gained. So he started out with some dear things must be lost. Finally, some dear things must be gained for grace to be fully enjoyed. For grace to be fully, fully enjoyed. We must be willing to enter into it. If we're not willing to fully enter into grace and what God is doing today under grace, we're going to miss out on these incredible blessings in this life. Okay, those are the three points today, and the main one being that first one. Some dear things must be lost for grace to be fully revealed. Okay, chapters 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians is where we must focus for this teaching. Paul gives a detailed teaching there. In fact, uh, of all of his teachings, um, I think there's hardly any as detailed as this one. It had to be the case that what was happening in Corinth was of such great significance with, at the time, potential for uh, spiritual blessing, but also a potential for uh, just the opposite over time as time went on. Uh, so Paul had to write so much about it. He's de dedicating these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, to that subject here in that first letter to the Corinthians. 
Now, I'm saddened to say that very few today take the apostles' words here seriously enough. Um, that renders Paul's words nearly meaningless for most people today in the churches who are caught up often in the realm of signs, wonders, and miracles, thinking that is the realm in which God is working today. They're totally off track, as we shall see as we study here. Okay, so let's read to start with, and I'd like, um, Gail, if you'd read these, uh, these verses are in some ways the absolutely most important ones in understanding what's happened in the realm of the signs, the wonders, and the miracles that were so prevalent in Corinth that Paul writes about here. So if you'd read for us 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 13. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be, there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. But now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Okay, thank you, Gail. Well, uh, there's teaching here that we, we need to uh, elaborate on today in some detail. So I ask you to bear with me. You know, we need to look at the, exactly what's written. We need to look at the words that we find there, consider them very, very carefully, because the teaching that Paul is giving here is largely misunderstood today. And I, I have no arrogance about this at all as I say this. I mean, I remember way back uh, being very concerned about what I saw in the churches in this area of uh, at that time, the charismatic movement was in full swing. We're talking about uh, 50 years ago, right? Uh, and uh, Pentecostalism had been common in many churches uh, for 50 years before that. <clears throat> um, many uh, who were in independent Bible churches were being uh, uh, caught up in things that were inappropriate. Uh, at that time, and uh, it was a big challenge. We had to go to the scriptures to study, and I thank God that uh, the Lord God led me into a seminary where at least these things were properly understood. And so I saw what Paul is saying here clearly at that time with the great help of some very, very good teachers in seminary. <clears throat> so let's get started here. <clears throat> we're going to have to go back to chapter 12 to see the context of what Paul writes here uh, in chapter 13. Uh, because what we see here are three different groupings of gifts. Three different groupings. What Paul is doing uh, <clears throat> is uh, singling out a couple of gifts here in 1 Corinthians 13 where Gail read. He singles out three. One is he, call, he calls prophecies. 
and other tongues, and the third knowledge. You see that in verse 8, okay? Okay, but we've got to go back to chapter 12, where he gives a long list of spiritual gifts. Uh, and uh, by name, and um, these three gifts identified here and singled out are representative of those given back there. Okay, so we go back to chapter 12 to see uh, uh, more specifically exactly uh, what these gifts are and how the Spirit of God organized them in the revelation given there. So, Anne, Anne would you please read for us from chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verses 8 through 10. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of, of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. Okay, thank you, Anne. Okay, so there, there's a list of the gifts. Uh, he calls them the gifts of the Spirit, <clears throat> right? And he emphasizes the same Spirit, the same Spirit, the same Spirit. So it's one Spirit. In other words, that's a unified sort of thing. But there's a diversity of gifts given, and he names them here. Uh, but what we may not know, because the English translations cover this up, unfortunately, is that there are really three uh, cl classifications here, three groupings of gifts. Okay. And uh, the way we see it is, by, if you look at the Greek language, you see there are two different words for another. You see it uses the word another a lot here. It says uh, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, right? <clears throat> okay. But in the Greek, there are two different words that are translated here by the same English word. If we'd, we'd find in our translation a different word signifying that different Greek word, then we would see that there are three separate groups of gifts identified here, okay? In the first group is uh, two gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, okay? Then it says, to another of a different sort, not another of the same kind, but another of a different kind, beginning of verse 9. Another of a different kind, and then he lists, what is it, five gifts, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, okay? And then, it, and those were all others, but then another of a different kind. So those are another's of the same kind within the group. And then beginning the second, the next, or the third grouping, another of a different kind, okay? So we see in the Greek, the, the, the structure there, that the Holy Spirit put into the very words there. So we would see, those reading can see the that the, there's a distinction being made between the different groups, okay? So there are three groups listed here. Now, um, again, let me just make this so clear. The word another reflects either the first word, which means another of the same kind, or the other Greek word, which means another of a different kind. Okay, so three separate 
groups. Now, that's important because when Paul then writes in chapter 13 about this, he refers back to the gifts in those three groups. And he just picks one group, one gift rather, out of each group, representative of the others that are in the group. So he, he, he picks out of that first group the, uh, the gift of knowledge, the word of knowledge. Out of that second group, he picks uh, prophecy, okay, as representing all those other gifts that are in that group. And then he picks um, tongues as representing those two gifts that were in the third group. Uh, foreign languages, tongues really means languages, foreign languages, and then interpretation of or translation of languages, okay? So he picks the one representing both of those. So what Paul is doing here is referring to all those gifts here in this section in 1 Corinthians 13 by just singling out three of them, okay? Now that's important because he, he's going to draw some distinctions, okay? And, uh, and uh, those distinctions have to do with the way these gifts are going to pass away. The question that Paul is addressing is, are these gifts to be considered permanently given so that in all periods of time uh, throughout the entire dispensation of the grace of God, the saints of God would be finding themselves to possess such gifts permanently? Or is what he's saying that they're all passing away? It is the latter. They're all passing away. That's the point he's making here, isn't it? They're all passing away. Some will pass away differently than others. And there are two different words for passing away in the Greek, too. And I don't think that's too significant <clears throat> to take note of. Uh, but uh, I mentioned it nevertheless, and we'll mention it again here, um, perhaps shortly. Okay, so the fact is they will be passing away okay but the big question would then be when <laughs> okay <clears throat> when will they be passing away what does he say and i think this is a point that's largely missed uh, along with the, that they will in fact be passing away after all if they're not passing away till the end of time or until whatever, you know, till the second coming of Christ, then this particular passage is not important to anyone, right? <laughs> uh, if they're not even going to pass away, then why write about them that they are going to be passing away? In fact, some of them, many of them, rather abruptly, because that one word translated passing away means to abruptly cease or to be rendered without any purpose and effect okay so the fact is that these gifts were going to soon be passing away some before others but they will all be passing away and these corinthian believers need to know about that why well what if something as significant as that these gifts of miracles and powers and signs and so forth what if those gifts disappeared what would the effect of that have been on these saints of God? It would have been an incredible effect, in fact, negative, because unless they were told in advance, there's going to be chaos in the churches, right? And so 
Paul makes it very clear these gifts are passing away and uh, so that there would be no uh, uh, shock, no, no amazement when in fact they did. Okay, but there's more here than that and this is quite important. Um, he, he in verses nine and 10 uses an expression uh, in part, translated in part in our translation. That's a, a perfectly legitimate translation in part, uh, or if you wanted to be a little more <laughs> wordy, you could say out of a part of, of the whole or, or partial, okay? And he kind of contrasts that with, with um, a word perfect here, the word perfect, or um, to translate that, I think somewhat more meaningfully, but perfect is okay. It's just that the word perfect in scripture means completed uh, or having re reached its designed end. Okay, so God had a, had a purpose. He was completing. And so he's contrasting here the partial with the, the complete, right? But partial what or complete what? Whenever you see words like partial, that has no meaning except in reference to that which is not partial or that which is complete, right? Unless you know what the complete is, you can't fully understand in what way what came before was partial. Or uh, so imperfect, you know, it cannot be understood well at all apart from the perfect having been revealed. And so what he's saying is there is something perfect is going to be given. Okay, they didn't have it yet. They would have it. And it's directly connected to the passing away of these supernatural gifts. Okay, so uh, what is this perfect thing? It is often assumed, and I think very incorrectly, <clears throat> that the perfect mentioned here is in fact the Lord himself. That it would be at his coming Therefore, and it's often taught that is coming that these miraculous displays of the power of God uh, physically, in, in most cases here, sometimes spiritually, but physically, that at that point, those special gifts would be taken away. Well, that is not going to be an exhortation to anybody living at the time, <laughs> I can assure you, okay? Okay. Uh, that, oh, by the way, you're not going to have these gifts forever. How does that edify? <laughs> what he says they are going to have forever is what? What does he say there? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. But, uh, you know, to understand the passage, we have to see that he's not talking about the return of Christ at all. What he's talking about is the completion of something they only had in part at the time. And that was the revelation of God concerning the full, fullest uh, degree of God's abundant grace that was being brought in, okay? And that was being brought in through the Apostle Paul because Christ was giving him that instruction to be passed on to the churches. Paul writes about this also in another place using the same language. <laughs> Fortunately, help, helps us greatly to understand. And, and that is in uh, Colossians 
Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Before we do that, though, notice what verses 9 and 10 say. It says, we know in part, we prophesy in part. So that knowledge, that special gift of knowledge, and that prophetic gift were able to operate at that time to reveal something concerning the future that God was going to work out in due time, right? right? But they were not going to provide the, the full extent of it. Those gifts were only operational in that realm of the partial. Once the complete, he says, has come, once the perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So those special gifts, they're going to pass away. Why? Because they'll no longer be need needed. Once the full revelation has been given, you no longer need that which is in part, he says here. Okay? So these special gifts are going to pass away completely at the time that the full word that they had previously a partial uh, representation of was given. So, fortunately, Paul writes about this in Colossians 1. So he, he really gives us uh, sort of the other side of it uh, in detail there. And I'd like that to be read by Linda. Linda, would you please read for, for us Colossians chapter 1, which is all about the completion of the giving forth of this special word of truth. Uh, Linda? Who now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hidden for ages and from generations, but now is made manifest in, to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, thank you, Linda. So we see that this word was given to Paul, and the word revealed what had been kept secret. It was the dispensation of God, right? And it was given to Paul to complete or to fulfill, that word fulfilled there in verse 25 of Colossians 1, means to complete. It's the same word root used back there in 1 Corinthians 13, translated perfect back there, okay? And so it's given to Paul to bring forth this completed revelation. And verse 27, don't ever forget that one, because that one uh, gives the essence of the whole teaching says, to whom, to whom, meaning to the saints, that means to us, God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. <laughs> so that's uh, the full... Uh, <laughs> Uh, manifestation of truth that's uh, written of there. So what Paul is basically saying back in chapter 13 is that God will fulfill the revelation necessary for the, for the dispensation of grace of God. In other words, he's going to bring forth that teaching 
and he's going to use Paul to complete it. He uses these other gifts uh, in that regard early on, but uh, he's then going to set them aside. They're going to be rendered inactive, and Paul will finish up that uh, communication uh, from God to his saints regarding the fullness of grace and what that all means. So the completed work of Christ, which is focused here in Colossians on Christ in you, the hope of glory, that is going to be the, the pinnacle of that teaching. Uh, Christ is working today through the body of Christ. He's the head. We're the members. And we are complete in him. Okay? So that's uh, really a marvelous teaching. But you notice how Paul in Colossians mentioned his sufferings. <laughs> and he mentioned that in Colossians 1.24 as as something critically to be understood. Suffering goes together with the uh, the ministry of grace. There's just no uh, getting around that. And so Paul writes about suffering, and uh, he writes about it in a special way uh, in uh, the next passage I want us to look at. And that's what I'd like Tom to read. Paul suffered greatly in his life in a very special way, but it became common over time uh, as grace abounded, and uh, we ourselves are drawn into the same kind of suffering. And Tom, would you read about that for us, please, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9? Verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Thank you, Tom. <clears throat> that verse 9 is so significant, so very, very significant. To manifest forth, <clears throat> to, to really to receive and to manifest forth the uh, power of Christ, okay, that's what Paul is talking about here, uh, it was necessary for him to uh, suffer as he did. In other words, the Lord God was not removing that that uh, thorn in the flesh that he mentions there in verse 7. He says it's a thorn in the flesh. Okay? He doesn't say it's a thorn in the spirit. We don't know exactly what it was, but Paul is talking about something uh, physical, there may be a spiritual component to it. I'm sure there was uh, some way. But but basically, uh, it's uh, something taking him uh, into the realm of great <laughs> suffering indeed, so great that he would dare to call out to the Lord three times. Now, Satan was involved. Satan likes to be involved in such things. He likes to trouble the saints, does he not? Okay. So what, what this says really is that uh, 
because of grace and its abundance, uh, there are issues in this life that we all must endure. That's just a fact of God. And if we know the larger context, we know that the signs, wonders, and miracles uh, have passed away, okay? It's not that God is no longer a miracle-working God. He is, but his major focus is spiritual, okay? And he has not given gifts of healings and so forth um, to the saints. Those gifts have been taken away. He's also not given prophecy anymore to the saints because the word's already been completed. Everything that the body of Christ needs to know today is already available to us here, set before us in Paul's letters. So the issue is, are we going to avail ourselves of all of these blessings? We've lost certain great things. The early church had those manifestations of the Spirit. But in the process, we've gained what I challenge you to receive as so much more the abundance of God's grace whereby we may reign in life by Jesus Christ okay so much has passed away now we have the privilege of entering into the fullness of God's grace but will we receive it or will we rather want to go back to what the church had before in those early days when the fullness of God's grace wasn't yet made manifest. That's the question. Back in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul finishes that whole section and the chapter with this one verse. He says, what it is that's going to abide throughout or continue throughout the dispensation of grace after everything else has passed away, all those other gifts. Now abideth faith Hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. I'd like Patty to read our final verse for the day because there we see, <laughs> as I've said, we've gained so much more than we've lost, as it were, in, within the body of Christ. We've gained so much more. Uh, and Philippians 4 is all about that. Patty, would you read there for us, please? Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Amen. So to fully enjoy the grace of God, we need to receive the grace that he's providing, right? Uh, then we can live in life as what? 
victors, as those who are reigning in life, indeed, right? And here he says, those things which you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Would you rather have the God of peace with you? Or would you rather seek for that which is God is no longer doing today? Through signs, wonders, and miracles. That's a great contrast. It's a great challenge. Let's take it to heart. Makes all the difference. Grace rules. Let's enjoy the Lord of glory and grace always. Well, we live in difficult times from our perspective. I don't know how difficult they are compared to the saints of old. Remember, this dispensation is nearly 2,000 years old. <laughs> More than 1,900 years old. Um, what have others endured compared to us? Well, let's be uh, careful objective about all of this and take to heart this precious teaching god's grace will always be sufficient that's a promise and enjoy the lord always he's the one who's sovereign and we are his dear children and he's working together all things for our good and will never withdraw his love from us never such promises give us great hope amen amen enjoy the lord all any questions uh comments or uh whatever you'd like uh now's the time well if you're like me you probably don't have much more to say i've run out of words Good thing we're way past time. <laughs> oh, well. Enjoy the Lord all. I mean, he's working great things even in our midst. And if only we would open our eyes to see them. Amen. Amen, indeed. Okay, let's pray. Father God, thank you for gathering us today uh, in the teaching and the preaching and the open word here concerning your grace father may we fully take it to heart may the challenges not uh, have a negative effect but only a positive one in us may we never allow the enemy to steal away our joy in you may we become encouraged as we consider your precious truth as we've seen here this morning May we consider Paul's ministries, and especially as he comes close to the end there, his confidence in you to be our example. May we endure as he endured and as loving uh, the appearing of our Lord Jesus. May that transform our daily lives and our, our, uh, our hopes and dreams. May they always be focused, Father on what stands written there in your precious word and those promises concerning the future. And 
Father, we just look to see how you'll work today. We wait on you and we rest. We would always rest in the sufficiency of your grace. And thank you in Christ's name and and amen. Well, enjoy the Lord all. Enjoy the Lord. His word.